0: Hey there, Skips and Skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land, and welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, this is one of the biggest episodes we have had in months, maybe years. Three years ago, we sat down with author David Koenig, who wrote the Mouse Tales books and has been an avid documenter of Disney history. Now, at the time, our podcast was in its infancy, but over time, it's become our most popular episode, gaining tens of thousands of listens. Well, David has a new book out, The People vs. Disneyland, and we wanted to chat with him about the book, the way lawsuits have affected Disneyland, and some of the interesting news coming out of the D23 Expo. Look, I will make no bones about it. David is a great guy, and I could sit down with him every few months, and we could still have a compelling podcast. We were really proud to have him back on the show. Now, this is the first of a two-part interview, and we're super happy to have him on board. But David isn't the only reason— ...that this is one of the biggest episodes for us. As of today, I can officially announce that Jungle Rummy, the card game that we have worked so hard on... ...is approved by Kickstarter for a funding campaign starting October 1st. Jungle Rummy is a mashup of Gin Rummy, Uno, Hearts, and Hippos with an artistic flavor that's influenced by the jungle and the 1920s Age of Adventure. It's a family-friendly, f- fast-playing game that works for two to four people. It's super competitive and has a great twist for how you score points and go for objectives. All of our initial reviews are glowing, and we've had some professional reviews that have come back absolutely raving about the art and gameplay. So, you might be asking yourself, Self? This game sounds fantastic, and I really want to support the podcast, but where do I find out information about it? Well, besides the fact that you're talking to yourself, and that's a little worrisome, uh, we have all of our information about how the Kickstarter is working over at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Jungle C-R-E-W-S, as well as on Twitter at SkipCast. Uh, also, if you go to Kickstarter and search Jungle Rummy, uh, as of October 1st, it will go up, but we won't get an actual web address until the campaign starts. Now, we have some really exciting reward levels for backing us, including some exclusive shirts to go with your game. And for the first time, we are going to offer sponsorships of the podcast as a support level. So if you want to market your business or projects to our growing audience of more than 10,000 listeners, you can actually help us fund this game and get your message out. Now we're offering an exclusive chance to be a guest on the podcast and have your very own episode as a funding level as well. We have a lot of great updates for the game as stretch goals, and we're going to be updating on a near daily basis on Facebook about how the launch is going. The best part is because of this group funding, we're able to significantly lower our prices by 5 to $7 per game, and it looks incredibly good that we'll have the games in your hands before Christmas. So swing over and uh, help us out, and help keep your friendly neighborhood podcast going, and we appreciate all the support you've given us already. All right, here we go. Season 5, Episode 6. The first half of our uh, interview with David Koenig in an episode we like to call David Koenig's Lawsuit Land. Because I think I I tend to be a little soft sell in the front of it But um, sitting here, uh, Tales from the Jungle Cruise We're in our fifth season of of episodes And I'm sitting here with David Koenig Who, uh, besides being a prolific author And uh, we're going to talk about your new book uh, Probably about some of the other books You know, all the book stuff um, I I think I realized from our first taping three years ago Which by uh, all of our episodes We've had over a million downloads Which I find astounding uh, but uh, yours are the most listened that a single episode is the most listened to episode that we've done and it's about 8% of all of our 140 episodes, whatever it is, it's been the one that you did with us and I can do math um, okay. 8% of a million is a lot so yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, people seem to go back to that even though the audio quality was oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was early it was just like right after our first year of doing it, it was like our second summer and I didn't know how sensitive the microphone was, or, mm. but and I, and I, you know, and but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to believe it's been three years since we sat out there and chatted jungle, and I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> good,
1: good. Neither uh, did I. So we're uh...
0: well, and it's uh, the two things I, that I I, I re-listened to the episode on the way back down. The two things I realized is I, I didn't know you very well at that point. We've had a few interactions since then. I think part of the reason why I. Uh, I've enjoyed being around you when there's other people and introduce people to you, and you are one of the most genuinely interested people in other people. You, know, you ask their name, where they worked, what their interaction with Disney was, and as I walk away with my friends, they always say, God, he was a really nice guy. Uh, so I think that your whatever technique you use to disarm your, uh, your interview subjects has carried <laughs> over well into your... Uh, but no, I just think uh, I I can't I can't name another person I've met in you know the five years of doing this uh, that I would describe as a nicer guy. Oh well, thank you very so, much. That's very nice of you to say. Um, but I'm sure that, that that also has served you well in getting interviews. Oh, uh, well, that's that's a that's yours. I'll let yeah, you that. A, <laughs> uh But uh, yeah, no, no, I I'm sure that that does. Uh, it, Have you found that it's gotten easier when you're contacting people? I mean, do you kind of have a better feel for your interview process now? Well, uh, yeah, and
1: I think it's mostly as my name's gotten out there and people know who I am, and also that people who, when they leave Disney, that it's gotten a little more mature and larger. The talent pool, back when I first started interviewing people in the the mid to to late 80s, Mm -hmm. um... It was still this little family, and you know there was no air in the dirty laundry, and nobody knew who I was. I was some kid straight out of college who wanted to know all the secrets of disneyland and you know they didn't much <laughs> think I should know them you know it was that was that was private information and yeah. uh, you know there's still people there who work with Walt and uh, you know everybody knew everybody and then slowly, especially after the first book came out and people read it and realized, mm-hmm. okay, this guy's you know not out to take down the company he just wants to celebrate you know the, the unique experience mm-hmm. that we we've been able to share
0: um that's helped more than anything else mm-hmm. um but i know that there probably are some people who haven't gone who haven't heard the first time i chatted with you but um so y- it was late 80s uh when you started doing this coming out of uh, cal state fullerton right exactly um so when you look back at you know the the why you started it, and the, do you think that you've been able to do what you you had in your post college mind thirty years ago with it? I mean, do you, it, was the vision there, or did it just develop over time?
1: Uh, it it uh, uh, grew and mutated like some sort of strange uh, fungus. And I, <laughs> no, I, I I had no idea that this would turn into a vocation. Um, I originally. Um, knew I wanted, when I was going to Cal State Fullerton, knew I wanted to write, um, particularly books. I've, for the past 30 years, I've been working in the staff of a magazine, um, so I enjoy that as well. But there was just something um, about being published in a book and something that somebody would put on the shelf and keep and refer to. and, and It was just a, a respect, and so I wanted to create
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um and so that's why I always wanted to write books. But it wasn't Disney-specific. You know, Disney was one of my, my greatest and fondest interests, but not my only interest. And certainly now there are people who want to have a, you know, writing about Disney career. That was never my Damn. thought. That was just the first idea of, uh, and actually I had a different idea, was uh, I also enjoy old movies. So I thought, oh, it'd be fun to... uh to write about old movies, as some of my friends were doing. They'd come out with books about uh, Three Stooges and Laurel and Hardy and whatnot. All these uh, you know, classic subjects, which, which seemed like so much fun, because a lot of those old-timers were still alive. So I started uh, researching uh, a book about Danny Kaye, I was a performer who was in <laughs> uh, White Mother. Christmas yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, but uh, although I'm sure most people under 40 are going to who Danny Kay?
0: <laughs> well, it's funny the the young lady who does my my content uh, for the the Facebook page because we're putting up um, photographs, vintage photographs, and she she digs in and she gets like footage that you know I haven't right, seen right. before. Uh, she's been finding old cartoons, but she's a huge like Harold Lloyd fan. Oh, oh my, goodness. Chaplin. She's really like uh, you know when they just discovered uh, a couple new Laurel and Hardy movies that have been thought lost. I I heard her like scream to the internet how happy she was. (laughs) I mean it's she really is a devotee so. Yeah but that was my idea and so I spent through my college years
1: conducting research and interviews on a book about Danny Kaye and then tried to sell it when I graduated to realize that Danny Kaye at that time was 70 some years old and was almost forgotten at that that point so they said all the publishers said we like how you r- write and you know the, the things you're getting after um, but nobody cares about Danny Kaye. find something yeah. people care about <laughs> don't you have any interest about you know people who are still alive and you know kicking and, and vibrant and current and so my other great interest was Disneyland, yeah. and and that's when I started paying attention to the the skippers I worked with at Cal State Fullerton who'd come in the next morning and tell me their stories about You know uh the breakdowns and the crazy guests and everything else that fills up your podcast and i go okay this sounds more marketable and i just thought it would be one book and it came out and as soon as it came out there were 50 more people who met me at book signings that i was saying oh my gosh i got stories for you Mm -hmm. and then it turned into two books and three books and now i've written six books
0: and and
1: and still loving it so I'll, i'll keep going as yeah. long as people buy them
0: well and part of the reason we're chatting I mean, obviously you've got something new which we're a it's, it's always nice to plug the new things and have that discussion because we want people to see Grace seven i think this is really a different and, and very interesting book because it um it's a different angle on the parks that i think you've you hadn't you know when you interview ex-cast members there's one particular kind of you know discussion you have with them right. but you know this uh the books that the people versus disneyland um and i guess uh, you could sum it up i can sum it up i mean i i kind of saw it as you know what is the evolution of the theme park as seen through the eyes of the legal process you know what are what are the things that influence how the park operates and what are the stories of the people who who uh filed suit against disney and how did that create the park the way it is today
1: yeah oh, oh absolutely that's exactly it. it's not i mean it, the idea for the book um was first proposed by a lawyer who i was doing some work for uh, 15 years ago uh, she was representing uh i mean she ended up representing about 15 or more uh cast members who had been laid off or squeezed out of the park all of them old timers all of them you know over 40 um and most of them you know squeezed out because um they were old timers they weren't all necessarily old (laughs) i mean some were maybe 42 which Mm -hmm. is younger than me so i I don't consider that old but what they all had in common is that they were all sort of attached to the ways of walt and that was you know the (laughs) The death blow for them when new Mm -hmm. management comes in is the last thing they want are people sticking around who knew better days or knew different days, according to them. And and
0: when someone's been working there for 15 or 20 years, they're making more money
1: um, than someone who comes in off the street. Well, well. that's uh, that's a happy coincidence (laughs) (laughs) in their case, but... But uh, that's how I first, she, so that lawyer said, you should do a book about the lawsuits of Disneyland, and it, at that point, I'd recently written Mouse Tales, which included a chapter about lawsuits, so I figured, well, I, I've kind of covered that small little uh, side of the story, figuring this is like 5% of the Disneyland story is lawsuits. But then, uh, about three, four years ago, when I thought, okay, it's time to update I hadn't written a Disneyland book, specifically a new book about Disneyland since 1999. So it was time, you know, after 15 years, it's time to, to look how the park has changed, what's been the biggest impact mm-hmm. over those last 15 years. And I quickly discovered far and away it was lawsuits and lawyers. They have turned that place upside down. Um, and, and not i mean initially how i say that is people go oh you're ripping on the lawyers and and how they've ruined the park and you know in some ways they've made it a lot better mm-hmm. i mean a lot fewer people get hurt yep. serious injuries um and there are there are unfortunate side effects of all these changes that have come but but uh, you know the place is more diverse it's more uh, you know more popular than ever uh and it's uh know yeah, we can thank or blame
0: lawyers for uh, well and I and I didn't see I mean I didn't go into this thinking that that uh, I mean granted there's a slightly ominous cover <laughs> cover art which I think is hilarious it looks like Nixon
1: oh yeah some a people say little, Nixon, little, little or, Nixon. Or, or or something but it's a it's supposed to be a, a Mickey's a sort of a mafia protector yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the guy looking out so you don't take advantage of him.
0: but you know going going into it and reading it um, with that with an open mind you know I didn't necessarily have a prejudgment about what I thought you were going to do with it. Because when you when you hear a title like that, you do kind of think, you know, right. either you're going to either bash on lawyers or you're going to show Disney as this nefarious corporate entity. And, you know, it was none of those things in my eyes. Uh, I really saw it as... I think that this is the case with most of your books, that it's um, more of an eagle-eye overview matter-of-factness that still has a good narrative underneath it. But I, I didn't see... Uh, a strong, like overall judgment. I, I mean, I thought it was it was nice that that you had a good. Well, that's that's good to hear because
1: uh, I'll be honest. When I started on this book, I'm well, not a big fan of lawyers. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, lawyers are not my favorite people in the world, and I figured after interviewing them and being around them and their work for the next. Three years, um, I'm going to like them even less. And at the end of the three years, I actually like them and respect them even more. I met a lot of individually. Mm -hmm. I met a lot of uh, lawyers who were extremely helpful, open, honest, friendly, and I got to realize, you know, this is a job. (laughs) That yeah. they do there is a positive side okay. to what they do God knows there's a, there's the negative as well, sure. and especially uh you know some of the more over the top and abusive ones
0: yeah. but that, um, and that's media portrayal though I think that yeah. you know we I, I you know it's not all you know the the law and order kind of lawyers, and it's not right. all night court you know there's that <laughs> there's the reality <laughs> of it which is you know there's your blue collar lawyers right. know, so we say that aren't the guys on TV running down ambulances but but it's also that the it's a very easy trope for people to use in movies or television and it's colored the way we think about lawyers I think
1: right no I think I'm sure that's part of it with my preconceptions mm-hmm. and part of it was just you know no, watching Disneyland and from the outside you see all these what you view as, as someone like me who really loves the history of Disneyland and wishes well we'll say half wishes. I could snap my fingers and Disney would be nineteen sixty seven again and we could ride the people mover and inner space and mm-hmm. you know and, and and sort of be in that um the first Disneyland I ever saw um you know realizing that yeah the I'm sure the bathrooms didn't work as well or you know all these other you, you know, know uh all of the prices would have been better um <laughs> But as someone who loves the history of Disney, seeing how lawyers have been so, and lawsuits have been so uh, at the forefront of, of removing so many things that I loved, or changing, or adding these things that appear, these railings and such that appear unnecessary, or knowing, you know, watching firsthand that all the... The ridiculous safety triple quadruple checks have, have you know made a, a twenty minute line turn into a forty minute line, you know, and just seeing from the outside its its mm-hmm. effect on the Disneyland that I want it to be, that I wish <laughs> you know everybody behaved as 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 well as me and and took care of myself and and didn't uh, stop thinking and and get hurt. That Disneyland could be the Disneyland again at nineteen sixty seven, and then getting in depth and realizing. No, they can't. That's not that's not the world we live in, and they've they're trying to do the best they can to to bring Disneyland into 2015. Yeah,
0: because I mean, if if they did operate the way they did in 67, they'd be out of business in a year with frivolous law with lawsuits. It, no, uh, it's just I mean, flat out. If
1: we still had the stage coaches, you know, and people were going flying into Cactus, you know, uh, three times a week, yeah, you know, that it it wouldn't be around anymore. Yeah. Literally, they could not allow it to be open
0: well that's i think that's the necessity of of the evolution of the park is that there there has been the changes that have been forced forced both by societal changes when new attractions come around new movies new things but also the the safety and legal side of it what, what was different for you about your research on this versus because obviously the tone's much different than your other books um I not tone, but content. But, yeah. But what what was your what was the difference in the research for you? What was the process like? Well, uh, most of the hard research, apart from the interviews, was very similar.
1: Uh, trying to find company paperwork and such re, uh, regarding specific incidents or changes at the park, uh, pouring through every word of every lawsuit mm-hmm. <laughs> you know filed. You know, that was the similar part. The different part was interviewing folks who weren't pastor president cast members Mm -hmm. talking to victims of lawsuits or self-described victims Mm -hmm. (laughs) in some cases they were the aggressors themselves and with attorneys you know people who weren't and never were and never would be disney employees but you know the the outside and getting their input and their perspective and uh, uh that was the greatest difference it was uh I won't say it's better or worse. It was just it was a difference, yeah. Yeah,
0: which is also maybe good because it's, it's different. It's not the same, right. you know. The, you're not running on the treadmill that you run before. It's you know there's some different ways of looking at things. Yeah, that, well, that not only
1: that. When I first started on the book, that was my fear, and maybe one reason I put it off for longer than maybe I should have is thinking, is this going to be just Mouse Tales three? Mm-hmm. Is this? I, I mean, that's I know people are all oh, read another Mouse Tales book. Oh, we got we need more crazy stories about you know uh, mm-hmm. sweepers or whatever. And it's sort of like maybe I'll do that one day, but yeah. you know I'd, I'd rather do something new and different. And that's why uh, uh, I was so happy to stumble upon this angle mm-hmm. that made it be a lot of crossover. You know, there's still crazy stories and interesting things and secrets about the park yeah. and and such. But uh, you know, a, a, a fresh angle that wasn't the same exact same format and mm-hmm. such.
0: Well, I think it's really relevant because you know we're talking about. Um, the nostalgia factor what we what we wish we could have our eyes be the the eyes of you know watching Walt on TV and all that, but I, if I think if anything that the company has started um, promoting nostalgia and I, I think it 's a detriment when you have all the live action versions of animated movies as a for example right, right, you know right. I think that they're they're i think i've probably talked about this way too much, but I think that they 're um, focusing on their intellectual properties and reusing things that are comfortable versus you know taking the risks so.
1: right well i think it's uh, what it traces back to and i don't know if this is one specific incident or or not but it's uh disney land for 40 or 50 years or more their most important product maybe back to day 1 has been nostalgia i mean and they didn't know it at first i mean originally it was bringing people back to the place of their childhood, which was Main Street, USA, mm-hmm. and then, and then it became bringing them back to the place of their childhood, which was Disneyland 1967 or Disneyland 1974, and you know that's and that's why it was so difficult when things changed when they didn't have to change, yeah. and people would get upset, and Disney would never. Understand? We're getting the Skyway. You know the Skyway. Why, why do you care about the Skyway? It's just buckets on a on a string, you know. And they would not get it, but it's because and the people mover. It's because you know that's what we grew up on. And that's what we mm-hmm. associate. And they never put that together. I think until they killed the Electrical Parade, mm-hmm. and they figured, you know, all right, we, we. I know there's some people who like the Electrical Parade. They'll probably be upset. Maybe we better. You know announce it, and then they announced it, and people went nuts mm-hmm. and so then they started selling the light bulbs and then they started you know they, they dragged the thing out for six or eight months and there was the the biggest crowds in the history of of Disneyland um, were because they were killing one of their you know mm-hmm. beloved attractions, and I think at some point they must have realized oh my gosh this is the most profitable thing we have mm-hmm. and uh, it, it makes me wonder did they go th- then through the park okay what can we get rid of next that people <laughs> love so that we can uh, you know sell chop it up and sell its carcass and in, in pieces and then uh, you know the next most successful year was the 50th anniversary where they had forewarning that people would be purchasing and spending money and want to see nostalgia and they mm-hmm. Designed almost everything they did was based on the Disneyland of the fifties and sixties and, and such. So it's it's always been their biggest, best product. Mm-hmm. It just took them forty, fifty years to realize it.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you? I mean, what what do you feel like that within the the legal process and and the lawyers and the the lawsuits, what's the biggest cost to Disneyland Park been? What's the thing that it Singularly, change that you think has has had the biggest effect on the park itself. Is it the safety operations? Obviously, those have to be there. But I mean, is there a single in a single thing you can point to and say the lawsuits brought this and this was you know a major shift for the park?
1: Right. Um, well, the the biggest incident flat out was uh, was the uh, was a safety incident. It was the uh, the Roger Rabbit incident in which a small boy. Uh, fell or was thrown out of one of the vehicles and got trapped underneath it, and uh, um, suffered, you know, near death. Suffered all sorts of damage, and, uh, and uh, several years later, ended up did dying from his the results of his injuries. But that was the accident in which everything changed. There had been a couple of injuries before that, <laughs> in which you know, the Columbia uh, incident, in which Disney didn't quite. Realized the gravity of of it having to change of it having to be more open of it before it wanted to sort of hide its safety
0: mm-hmm.
1: precautions because they realized and especially back in, and you can blame Walt for this i mean he didn 't want people to think about safety <laughs> and that, that sounds weird, but he wanted the employees to think about safety and he wanted everything designed to be so safe that you know, people wouldn't have to think about safety. Because if you're thinking about, I've got to be careful, and I've got to hold the handrails, and I've got to, oh, wait, if I have a bad back, and, oh, what does this sign say? I mean, to the point where when um, the Matterhorn first opened, there were no signs saying that it was a roller coaster. So they wanted you to think you're getting on a bobsled, you know, and you're going down the icy peaks of the actual Matterhorn from switzerland and that was the first lawsuit ever filed against the matterhorn was a little old lady who said you know i didn't suffer any real injuries but i was scared out of my gourd because i had no idea this was a roller coaster nobody told me it was a roller coaster there's no signs i couldn't really i guess you know and she lost the case because they said well if you would have stared at the right long enough you would have seen the people you know the the bobsleds shooting around and you would have figured it out um but it was to that point where they didn't even want to know there was a possibility you could get hurt and if god forbid you did they would uh, you know take care of you and sneak you off stage what was left of you
0: <laughs> uh, I, I was talking to one of the the older old timers the, the, the people from the 50s or 60s Mm -hmm. and they they talked about safety as that it uh, the internal phrase it should be a guardian angel Mm -hmm. because you should never see it but you should always feel like it's there
1: right right Uh,
0: It was really interesting like analogy to it that you know safety should be invisible but it should always have a presence which i thought was a really interesting Uh, like
1: angle wow i never heard that but that i mean that is it you know exactly a hundred percent was there. Their modus operandi is that, uh, you know, keep it secret but always there and as effective as humanly possible. And then it got to the point, especially after the Roger Rabbit accident, where it's like, we can't. We need the guest's help Mm -hmm. (laughs) in protecting them from themselves. Um, And so that's when everything changed, and that's when all the signs started going up uh, in, in huge numbers in multiple languages with, you know, diagrams of uh, you know every conceivable notion and color coding and spiels going off constantly and every mm-hmm. uh and and extra seat belts and checking the seat belts and extra positions among the ride operators of just some were just purely safety positions you know yeah. which was unheard of before you know yeah. before there were attractions you could run with one person everybody
0: on okay button go
1: and yeah. and that's it and there's no such thing as there anymore.
0: But anymore. And I, I looked, and one of the things I was thinking of when I was reading the book was, you know, if it wasn't, if it wouldn't have been Roger Rabbit, it would have been something else. Right. Because there's, there's a balance of what the expectation is in, in society now mm-hmm. about safety and, and about, you know, where we're at, where you can't walk into a Whole Foods without, you know, having 20 signs that say, floor might be wet, yeah. don't slip on a grape, because yeah. they're covering their own liability. Yeah. Where yeah. if it wasn't, you know, Roger Rabbit, it would have been... You know, Big Thunder or it oh, would have been something else that would have, would have triggered that uh, response. I, I would have. Uh...
1: Oh, no, it, it 100% would have been something else because people are going, somehow, unfortunately, people are going to get hurt mm-hmm. at Disneyland. I mean, with just a, you know, something mechanical failure or human failure or whatever. It's just. Like like anywhere else, the street right outside in front of us. At some point, there's going to be a car accident. It's just you know, it's just a, a matter of time. So at some point, you know, uh, uh, current day was going to catch up with Disneyland.
0: Well, and it was even like the statistical probability that you're going to have a, a roller coaster like uh, California Screaming, which I still I love the roller coaster. It's amazing, but statistically, you're going to have someone who's going to go on it who has a brain condition or a heart right. condition that they don't know about. Just on raw math, that's going to happen. You're going to have deaths in any place that you gather sixty or seventy thousand people for sixty years. Right. You know, statistically, it's going to happen. Right. Uh, so it's just a matter of you know how they how they present it and how they you know early on they hide it and you know right, later right. on they they I think they started acknowledging it because when they acknowledge it and then show that they're making things better, they look like they're very proactive and very. You know, on top of it, which I think is a, a great marketing message that had to change from the fifties and sixties to what the modern look of it is
1: right, and that's not just uh, helps in the marketing but even more helps in the legal arena where they need to prove that they're doing everything they can. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't enough to say these things never happen, especially um you know about the same time uh, post the Columbia accident. Um, safety records started opening up. Um, OSHA got authority to investigate guest accidents Mm -hmm. in different ways that people could find out, uh, including lawyers, um, that certain incidents had happened before if the thing didn't make it into uh, the headlines of the local paper or into some wacky book. Um, You know, you never knew some of these things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Most of these uh, incidents that happen at Disneyland every single day happen um, but now a lawyer can, you know, if if somebody, you know, slips and trips on some, um, you know, trolley track or something, they can go do a search and find out how many times yeah. people have tripped on trolley tracks.
0: Oh, and I, I had to write tons of statements in my time that were right. on seemingly insignificant things, but they had to cover their uh, cover their bases.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, it's it's for legal reasons as much as marketing or yeah. or a uh, you know devotion to caring for the. Uh, the guests,
0: yeah. So as you were doing your discovery and unveiling things, did um, I mean, what were what was the were there big surprises for you? Were there things that you once you started digging into was you know the the um, Watergate you know level uh, you know guy meeting you in the garage kind of thing? <laughs> was, were, was there were there some real eye opening surprises for you? Were there things you were genuinely Uh, amazed by or surprised by?
1: Yeah, there were. I mean, the the book covers 1,300 cases of the roughly 2,000 or or so uh, plus that have been filed over the years, Uh, you know, all the big ones. Um, And so there were a number of cases where... You know, just individual circumstances were such that it was hard to believe that Disney would fight that, or Disney would pay off that, or and to find out the reasons why they they chose the different defense. Mm-hmm. Always in the early years, it was always fight everything unless we're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know that changed uh, in about the '80s and '90s to where they became much more strategic in how they fought and what they fought.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, did, did you go through and uh, at any point go through and add up all the numbers in the book to try to figure out what, uh, you know, if you take all of the 1,300 that you know that there were these settled, these were, you know, court cases, did you add the, the dollar amounts up to try to get to an end result?
1: Well, no, you can, and, and why you can't do that is so many of the cases um, were called dismissed with prejudice, which means they, they agree to, both parties agree to set aside the case and it Nobody's uh, uh, admitting any fault, mm-hmm. um, and if the case needs to be opened up at some point again, they still reserve that right. But that uh, um, you know, there's no announcement if there was a settlement or not. It may just be of a case of both sides sure, being fed st- up or whatever and backing off, or it may have been a case of uh, you know, it isn't giving them a settlement. Mm-hmm. A settlement, yeah. exactly, which is is. Uh, especially these days, is always uh, confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially in the later years, um, it's harder to come across exactly what yeah. the settlements
0: But, but it's, in the, it's, it's in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars over the years. Yeah, well, there's
1: been, I mean, there's, you know, uh, the Roger Rabbit case was $42 million. Yeah. It's probably about the most. Um, I'm sure the Big Thunder um, case uh, went well above that in Combined with the yeah. roughly eight or ten suits that that came out of that, and all with multiple people, so there are probably mm-hmm. about close to twenty people who filed suit on that. Um, and the Columbia uh, case was uh, roughly twenty-five million, and uh, you know, so so just in the course, of you know, you yeah. can hit you can hit half a billion dollars with ten ten incidents. So it's. Yeah. Uh, it, it yeah it really adds up, but you can't obviously you can't know an exact figure,
0: yeah. well, and you know the, but even just from the viewpoint, i mean, I think it's and I'm making this as a statement it's not like not like a big comment about it, but i mean obviously it's it's affected the price of going to Disneyland, oh absolutely, you know between the the fact that you know have l and i insurance and the fact they have to have reserves to cover you know situations that happen i mean it it obviously is. Uh, it's an impact on what you pay today. And I think it, it probably is a chunk of it. I mean, not, you know, a gigantic amount, but, you know, I'm sure that the operating cost has to include that.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if, uh, you know, if they didn't have, and that's one way to look at it, if they didn't have to do all this nonsense,
0: mm-hmm. or
1: and some of necessary nonsense, you know, things would be less expensive. Mm-hmm. Now, would they pass that savings on to the guests? That
0: <laughs> no well, way of knowing. Or the other argument is that when the pe- people are, are complaining about the ticket prices is step back and look at what that's bought you, you know, look at, you know, people are like, yeah, well it's more expensive to go now than it was in 67 or in 72. And you know, when you do the, um, uh, you know, cost of living, the, uh, the inflation increase, it would be like $66 instead of what a hundred and whatever it is. Um, but you know, maybe that extra amount is making it so that there's a safety level and that there's a, you know, yeah, let's say that. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if that's true. But I'm, I'm, I'm so just saying for the, you yeah. know, that there is something. There's there's, there's no, a difference. No, absolutely, absolutely. Do you know, one thing you didn't talk about that I, as I was reading my, it was really more about things, um, where cast members were involved, right? Um, and there wasn't a lot of cast member suits that were you know really outlined. I mean, it wasn't a huge. Portion. It wasn't a
1: big portion because um, in the early years there were no cast member suits it's been a, a, you know nowadays there's probably as many cast member suits filed as there are guest suits i mean it's just because of the massive number of of cast members they need now and the more transient nature of the folks that they hire mm-hmm. and the opportunity to work in less magical positions than uh, before mm-hmm. um they turn over a lot more people and some of them are not real happy about it and you know, before, if you worked there, you worked there ten, fifteen, twenty years, and you viewed Walt as a father figure, and everybody you worked with as a family. And you know, I talked to people who were let go in the sixties and seventies who, or still, maybe a little upset that they they were let go and didn't think it was right, but they sort of figured, well, Walt knew best. You know, if he, you know, really thought they couldn't afford to pay me or whatever the reason was. You know, so they didn't turn around and, and sue Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays, you know, they, there's no compunction about turning around and doing that.
0: Um, the uh, and this is this isn't really like I guess specifically in the the tone of the book, but you know, we just came out of D23. All right. Uh, which you were at and had a very lovely uh, signing area with your book. Yeah, and yeah, I thank the MousePlanet.com for fa- funding that for me. Uh, and you had an amazing overview of one of the giant queues of people lining <laughs> up uh, at the uh, the ticket the uh, the show pass area. Right, that right. was crazy. Uh, so sadly, you didn't get to get up. Uh, did you see any of the panels, or did you get out? Of the I, did, I saw of the
1: none of the panels. I saw um, I stood in line next to Bob Iger uh, entering the building on the first morning. That was uh,
0: my only brush with greatness. And, and did, did he get to go through the line first, or did you? Uh,
1: no. I Well, I, I was actually, to be honest, I, I was in the line, <laughs> and they told me I was in the wrong line. So uh, they go, no, 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 this is for, like, really important people like him. You go you're going to the extremely minor celebrity
0: line <laughs> down in Hall A. I, I had just seen your your tweets. So I thought it was yeah. kind of funny.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, but you know, obviously, D twenty three. It was it. It was a crazy uh, right. number of people in atmosphere. And as I'm I'm sitting there, the one thing that I thought, and I was kind of holding on to this because I knew we were going to be talking. Right, right. Um, do you think Disney can get too large? Like, is there a point where it's going to start? You know, between obviously, I think the, you know the pressure on the Star Wars to get a Star Wars land, and you know the Marvel properties and all of the different you know, film properties. I mean, uh, we see the issues with attendance right now and, you know, a million people on the AP rolls. Uh, but it, is there a point where it gets it gets too large and there's going to be some consequence of that?
1: Well, I think so. But, I mean, to me, the, the bad... Con- and to me, most organizations that get too big, <laughs> it's not a good thing. Um, what they do individually... And what makes them unique typically suffers. I know here the magazine. uh, We're in the office now. um, We do a small number of small magazines, and I've always thought if we did a large number of large magazines, we would not. The small magazines individually would not be as successful um, because you wouldn't be able to to specialize and to, to be the best at X. And with Disney, I think that's the one. Existential danger is that if it, I mean, when we were kids growing up, you said Disney and you know what Disney was. Disney was Mickey Mouse or uh-huh. Disney was the animated features or the TV show or Disneyland. That was what Disney was. Uh, and it was a feeling and it was a, you know, you, you had the whole world of Disney could fit in your head. If Disney ever gets to the point, where they're marketing where they own and market the Disney name attached to everything mm-hmm. and everything is Disney how can somebody get their yeah. head around it? how can you say i love disney i i know many people in the fan group fan communities when disney first in the late 80s and early 90s started buying up um what they viewed as complementary businesses but maybe i don't know power rangers or you know Cap Cities, you know, ABC Television and other things. You well, know, and
0: even uh, even uh, the the Weinstein distribution deal. Right, so, a- exactly. You know, Pulp, Pulp, Fiction's,
1: Pulp Fiction's a Disney movie. Exactly, and I know people who would suddenly be interested in these, these other properties that had nothing to do with Disney when they were created um, and really contextually had you know nothing to compliment with Disney but just by Disney buying them suddenly the they were an ABC fan or yeah. you know they start listening to KBC radio because it's mm-hmm. owned by Disney now or or something but i mean if it gets so vague
0: so yeah. watered down what is it anymore mm-hmm. um, you know it's kind of interesting it's kind of a, a short little detour cuz i don't want to forget Chatting, uh, right, right. they just announced their uh, Disney The El Capitan Halloween series, right? Um, and the, the the Black Cauldron is something I've been talking with friends about a lot lately. They're actually going to be rescreening it. Uh, I want to say it's the 16th to the 18th, uh, but it's on the LCap website. Okay, very uh, cool. and it hasn't been on a big screen for you know as a as a, a re-release. Time. I don't think since it came out.
1: Yeah, I don't think they've re-released. Uh, it. I think
0: this is the first time. I mean, there's probably been like art house showings, sure, but sure. as far as an actual like being able to see a restored print in the theater, and the, the, it's a flawed movie, but it was the first animated PG film. Right. And it was happening around that same time, mm-hmm. and. I really think that that was uh the part of the reason it bombed quote unquote was because they were going for a darker disney because they they saw a place to experiment that I think was probably ten years too early
1: yeah yeah it was too big a step away from what they do as opposed to things like Star Wars which in a sense can fit really
0: well with what Disney is yeah. and you know in, in, until you start thinking about the fact there's a lot of death in the Star Wars yeah, that's it's, it's, very, it's very clean death Yeah, <laughs> but even watching like the, the Star Wars Rebels TV show I, I kind of had moments where I went like dude they just killed like eight stormtroopers no. <laughs> on a cartoon that's on Disney XD I mean that's uh, a little surprising but, but yeah I mean it was a little dark yeah. Um I think it had some really redeeming qualities. I, I other than you know, the John biner Gurgi uh voicing was terrible. Uh it was the tough part mm-hmm. of the movie. But it was it was them trying something different. And right. uh you know, sometimes their experiments in in uh, trying when you have such a high ratio of success, yeah. Uh when you flop, they flop big. Right, 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 right. You know, Lone Ranger, John Carter. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um...